Hello and welcome to the Eastman's Predator Pros Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Nimnick, and I'm not actually out hunting coyotes today. I'm recording podcasts. So uh, great to be on the mic with you guys. It's been a fun month so far. Great start to the season. Uh, just got back from Colorado last week. We were filming for upcoming Last Stand episodes, and it was a barn burner. We put 40 coyotes on camera in six days. Uh, the first three days of the leg, we killed 26, which was a three-day filming record for us, or tied our record anyway. Um, you know, if you guys were following along on my Instagram story, actually on the last stand official Instagram page, I was posting some stories there. Um, so if you're not uh, following the last stand official on Instagram, go over there and give them a follow, uh, all of our filming trips, I'll be putting the stories on there, but post some stuff on my personal Instagram page as well. But it was fun. You know, Rick, Rick was back. We were filming. Uh, it was a challenge. We had eight people on stand for several of those days you know, six, five to six guys on stand, uh, the rest of the hunt. So makes it a challenge out in that big wide open Eastern Colorado country, but we got it done. So should make for some, some awesome episodes. I'm hoping to get Rick on here in the next episode or two to kind of recap that hunt and just talk about some of the fun things that happened during that time. But nonetheless, you'll get to see it, uh, you know, over on the lucky duck YouTube channel coming up. I think it'll be, uh, probably episode four, four, five, and six, will be coming out in December, and that'll be all the uh, the coyote hunting action that we had in Colorado last week. So other than that, just full speed ahead, uh, you know, basically this time of year, I'm just jumping from one hunt to the next. Got a little bit of Thanksgiving break now, so I kept that open. So going to gonna get some hunts in with my boys and some friends and things like that. And then, uh, you know, after Thanksgiving, we'll be back to, to coyote schools and heading up to North Dakota to film and, uh, you know, more schools and guided hunts after that around here. So going to be a busy December. So hopefully the coyotes keep flying in. It was nice to finally see the coyotes react and respond the way they they're supposed to be. It was a little slow there in October, uh, just with the weather being maybe a little seasonably nicer than normal, but, uh, we're to the point now where, where things are starting to happen. So it's, uh, it's to that uh, fun time of the coyote season for sure. But before we get into this episode, uh, with Clark Woodward, actually a coyote predator hunter from Oregon, uh, should be an interesting one. Uh, Clark's been in the outfitting world his whole life. Um, you know, so predator management has always been a part. So he's got some interesting stories about predator management and maintaining his, his deer herds, him just learning, you know, the ropes of coyote hunting and kind of how that's all played into it. And that, uh, you know, being in Oregon, he has the opportunity to, to kill mountain lions. Um, so he has some experience there. So it'll be fun to talk about that. But like I said, before we jump into that, I need to thank the sponsors of this episode, which are silencer central and Cryptech. Now, I finally did receive my Banish Gold uh, 30 cal suppressor from Silencer Central. You know, the I, I still can't get over how easy Silencer Central makes it to, to get a suppressor. I mean, I got on the phone, got the thing ordered. They mailed the fingerprint cards right to me. It took me 10 minutes. I sent them back. I had a little five-minute call with a customer service rep. Um, they'd sent me the links to set up pins and stuff to the ATM so we could do electronic file. I mean, it was just, uh, it was so easy. Now it's just a matter of waiting. I mean, probably didn't take more than 20 minutes of my time to get this done. And now obviously, you know, now we just have to wait for the ATF to, uh, to process everything. Um, you know, you may ask, I do have my suppressor, um, you know, was able to do that just through our partnership with, with Eastman's and Silence Central and everything like that with, for marketing purposes. Um, but, but yeah, just a crazy fast experience um you know now if the atf to get their crap together and make it even better but i think right now 
if you go over to their website, they actually have a buy one, get one free. So you buy one suppressor, you can get a second suppressor for free. All you have to do is pay for that extra $200 stamp. So a uh, pretty cool deal. If you're looking to get into the game or looking to add on some suppressors um, to your, uh, to your armory, uh, you know, head on over there, you know, get her done website, silencercentral.com. Now with Cryptech, uh, if you follow me on Instagram, uh, I've been wearing their new pattern, which is their flyway pattern, which is a waterfowl pattern. But to me, it's like perfect for coyote hunting in my country. You know, it has a lot more light yellows, tans, even some whites in it. Um, a lot less darker colors, which if you're sitting on a grass side hill, you know, uh, and you don't have a lot of sagebrush or timber brush to sit amongst, you know, this pattern's pretty dang good, I think. Um, you know, I, I was actually wearing it when we were filming. So you actually get to see some video of it, you know, when you watch the last stand episodes coming up. Um, but, uh, you know, I just, I'm a pretty simple guy when it comes to, I'm not too crazy about all the stuff I'm wearing. You know, I'm kind of a hoodie guy and then putting a heavier coat over that. And then once it warms up enough, I can strip the coat off and just hunt out of my hoodie to me. I, I mean, there's nothing better than killing coyotes, just wearing a hoodie. So, you know, that Tartaros hoodie, uh, is what I've been wearing. Uh, you know, lightweight, it, it was warm enough when it was 40 degrees, but it was not, not warm enough or not too warm when it was, you know, got up to 65 degrees. So about perfect for that. And then on top of that, I just have that Lycos two jacket. It's kind of a poofy jacket. Um, crazy warm though. You know, that'll be my go-to if it's, you know, down zero, 10 degrees first stand of the morning, I'll put that over everything. And then I could strip it off as the day gets going. Um, but, uh, but you know, I know people give me crap about wearing those poofy jackets, but man, it's, it's pretty warm. So, um, yeah, if you're in the market, need some, some Christmas ideas coming up, you know, Black Friday is right around the corner. I'm sure Cryptech's going to be having some sales on their website. I actually, I was just on there looking at some of this flyway stuff and they actually had some of it discounted down already. So looking to maybe pick up some new pattern, maybe a new piece or two of uh, a camo clothing, head over to cryptech.com and you can see everything they have to offer. Well, Clark, great to have you on the podcast, man. Appreciate you taking the time. Yeah, no problem. I know you've been busy. Sounds like you just got done with uh, some elk hunters yesterday and you finally got a day off and here you are stuck on the computer talking <laughs> yeah. to me, you know? Yeah, yeah. No, it's a good, good, uh, good thing to be doing on a Monday. So, you know, we had a little conversation before, uh, before we jumped on and started recording. Lots of interesting things, you know, just, you know, the first time I've met you, talked to you, um, it always amazes me just hunters in general, right? How quick we can come up with something to talk about, right? Like you don't even know each other. And it's all of a sudden we're starting a conversation. I had to say, well, we better stop unless we're start recording this thing before yeah. we get going too far, you know? Yeah. And, and I think that's something that you find uh, with an outfitting business is you can strike up a conversation with based on the hunting and it can go so much further than. Oh Yeah. And, and it's, and it's not only fast, but it's generally pretty natural regardless of your background or, or your even nationality or whatever else. I know it's something my wife, you know, when I'm doing coyote schools and stuff like that, and she's just like, these three random guys just show up and you go out hunting. And I'm like, yeah, it's cool. You know, and she, they, she there's no, yeah. they just don't understand. Right. They just, uh, it's something yeah. that's pretty unique. Yeah, for sure. It's a, it, it's a, it's a great commonality to, to, for a conversation starter and, uh, just creating relationships really. So before we kind of jump into a few topics I wanted to talk about, uh, let's just start by giving me a little bit on your background, like, you know, how you got into hunting, 
maybe, you know, predator hunting specifically coyotes. And obviously we're going to talk about mountain lions a little bit. Um, so yeah, let's, let's start there. Yeah. So, uh, well, we've, we've owned a fair bit of property my entire life. And, uh, so we'll take, take kind of go back, but so about, uh, in the, in the fifties and sixties, my great grandpa was the land manager for, for the Hudspeth family. And they owned a half million acres in the state of Oregon in the fifties and sixties. And they, he, he got on, he'd been hunting his whole life. And he, they asked him to organize the hunting and fishing and recreation for Hudspeth. And so from what, from as far as I'm aware, I mean, there, there could have been, could have been someone else somewhere else in the state, but he was, he was one of the first ones to ever take a pay or fee hunter um, in the state of Oregon. And kind of fast forward, uh, my dad started an outfitting business coming out of college and he essentially, you know, it's his lifelong passion. So when he had a son, his first son, so we, we did a lot of hunting yeah, and yeah. Did a lot of guiding. And uh, I mean, you could say whatever, but I, I guided my first hunter at, uh, at four or five years old, it was an <laughs> antelope hunter. And he actually, that hunter still hunts with me today, elk and deer hunts. So, um, but I guess co- coming from that background, uh, it's almost just a, just a gimme that predators get involved and uh, obviously coyotes, but lions, bears, whatever it is. Uh, I kind of, I enjoy the, I enjoy Bren Hill saying, if you're not a hunter, unless you're hunting fangs. So yeah, yeah. It, it's, it's all part, it's all part of it. And, and I know on, on the ranch that I was just on last week, every we've killed, I don't know, 70 to a hundred coyotes this year down there. Um, and every single hunter that's been on that ranch before, uh, came on the ranch this year after us kind of trying to take a toll on the coyotes and just was absolutely blown away by the number of deer that had come back. And, uh, two years ago, we took took the same group of deer hunters and had we shot one deer and it was the only buck we saw. And I've been I just started ramping up the coyote hunting and and uh, this year we saw probably 50, 50 60 bucks and two to three hundred deer during wow just it, so in and fawns and everything else. So that's Did you see just, a lot of coyotes too again. We saw no coyotes really two seasons and every hunter was just completely shocked. Um, I think that the re the only reason that, I mean, I have ranches that we kill a lot of coyotes and they, and you still see a lot, but I think on this particular ranch, um, it's, it's large enough and it's surrounded by enough timber that the coyotes are probably, we we're controlling that, I guess, immediate ecosystem, maybe in that area, whereas, uh, and it's kind of surrounded by pretty mountainous stuff. That's, you know, generally not a lot of game. So I think it's kind of its own ecosystem in that part um, were, you, were you guys just like shooting them or did you have aerial gunning trapping did you do it all uh, or so that ranch has had a little bit of trapping but it's mostly just calling and shooting and uh and whatnot and then obviously opportunity shooting whatever, whatever yeah you can. yeah but, uh, but no we we called a lot of coyotes this year we probably called probably 60 percent of those and then nice. uh, yeah it's unique because you know there's there's been a lot of studies done on coyotes in regards to, you know, how you regulate them, right? I mean, the government's been trying to eradicate coyotes for hundreds of years, you know, and there's the 70% rule is kind of what they come up with. Like you have to kill off at least 70% of the coyotes in an area to see a reduction in the overall coyote numbers, which is usually pretty hard to do from a calling and shooting standpoint. Usually, you know, it takes aerial gunning, trapping and stuff to knock them back, 
you know, to that 70 plus percent range, but that is unique, you know, because when you talked about just the general area, you have to have new coyotes, right? Sometimes, you yeah. know, filling in from the outskirts, you know, these transient cuts, whatever they are, um, you know, or a few coyotes that are left that breed and have big litters for the following year, you know, but if you're constantly kind of keeping the, the pressure on them, obviously it does help in, a, in an area like that. Well, and I, I think, I think in this scenario, uh, which I was just saying, we, uh, I had a, I had a friend of mine from Kansas. He was out here helping me this summer and doing some filming for us and whatnot. And he, his opinion was because of the train that it, that it was less likely for outside coyotes to make it into this ranch. And I don't necessarily disagree. I mean, I generally see a lot more coyotes in the flatland where there's rabbits and whatnot. And this in our area and just the train, the, the mountainous, the timber, the everything else, I think it leads to a little bit lower number of coyotes on the outskirts of this ranch. And uh, I think the shooting pre, I guess, essentially pre pup season and then following through and, you know, taking care of as many pups as possible. And then, yeah and then leading into essentially another breeding season, eliminating nearly oh, yeah. every coyote you can find, which it, it's, I mean, we still saw coyotes that weren't, that obviously we didn't get, but, but the, uh, and, but in, in years past, I've seen 30 coyotes during deer and elk season and, yeah. you know, we get 10 or what, you know, letting everyone, all the hunters shoot at them and whatnot. And this year, I saw five coyotes, but they're all together and off the, on that very outskirt of the ranch. So I really don't, I don't know if we just happened to get them at the perfect time all year long. And we, you know, just maybe cleaned up most of the mating pairs or if they were the, the food moved out a little bit or something on them. And they just, there's less of them there right at this moment, but uh, we were shocked by the, by the lack like, thereof. I guess, of generally how, how big of a place is this? This ranch is 50,000 acres. So it's a big, big place. Yeah. That's, that's yeah. impressive that, you know, you, yeah. I mean, most people across the country that are worried about predator management, they're dealing with small properties, right? Like their little deer yeah. lease, you know, surrounded by all this other acreage that nobody's yeah. controlling coyotes. So it's just this influx of coyotes coming in and out. So as soon as you kill them off, new coyotes are moving in. It's tough to do it. But when you yeah. have that big of a chunk, it becomes yeah. maybe a little bit easier to even control it because uh, like you said, you kill yeah, them out of the, the center and it's good to go for a while. I think, I think also with that, you know, you know, you talk about a lot of the Midwest and when, you know, guys are like, well, yeah, the next city, well, there's another city and an area where there's no one hunting and another area where there's no one hunting and there's 60, 70 landowners. And, you know, half of those might not be managing predators and the other half are, well, I guess it's kind of a Western culture, I guess, but the, the Western culture, you, you eliminate your predators. I mean, yeah. that, but, and, and, this this used to be a sheep ranch so there was a lot of trapping and a lot of uh i mean there was aerial gunning and all kinds of stuff back in the day and we still never really saw them take a hit like this and i don't know if we happen to have a you know i'm sure i'm sure in two or three years we'll see whether whether we just had a you know bad pup season down there or if we end up you know putting that kind of a den in them long term or whatever else um but for sure. We, I mean, there's a noticeable, there's a noticeable number in, in deer. 
It's, it's crazy. It's going to suck for your coyote calling this winter on there, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You have to find somewhere else. But, or it's going to be or a real limited number of. Well, yeah, yeah. Good, I guess, but, uh, <laughs> That's why you, you you want to be close to that. If, if you're a coyote hunter, you want to be real close to that 70%, but not over, right? You want to make sure yeah. you have plenty of coyotes yeah. to call, yeah. you know, next year. <laughs> sure. Not something I ever considered, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> well, you just have to go find a new spot, you know, to yeah. hammer them on for a while, you know. Right. <laughs> yeah which is and it's it, it is interesting because about oh it'd be about 60 air miles um to the east we have a ranch that is 12,000 acres and we summer cattle up there and there's been many years we've killed 100 coyotes on that ranch and i've never seen it take a dive and it you know in up there in the winter there might be four to five foot of snow so i mean there's been guys with snowmobiles and helicopters and everything yeah. else fly it um and it really that ranch has never i've never seen that kind of impact i mean there's never been a day i drove through that place without seeing a coyote but i don't know i don't know if it's if in that case you know there's enough there's a there's enough influx on the outside to to i guess mitigate yeah, yeah. mitigate the complete loss of coyotes or or and i'm sure it's just like deer you know i mean if 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 they had a hot breeding season you know there might only maybe only half of the half the females came in heat in that in that period and then you end up with half the pups well you kill half the pups you might see a huge impact for you know a handful of years on top of that but but yeah that, it, it is an interesting interesting it is you know lane bangeter's buddy of mine is government trapper he's been on the podcast before filmed with him on the last stand and whatnot so, you know, he was a government trapper for like 20 some years, maybe 30. So, and that's one thing, you know, just in my conversations with him, he talks about certain ranches that he would aerial gun and every year he would, they'd kill a hundred coyotes off there and they'd yeah. go back to the next year and they'd kill. And there was this ranch down the highway, you know, 30 miles and they'd kill same size of ranch, look pretty similar, you know, with the train and they'd kill like 25 and every year yeah. that ranch was good for 25, you know, and it was like yeah. just very micro differences you know that held just higher capacities of coyotes uh you know maybe it was in the just natural travel route for coyotes to move into there quicker you know just weird things like that that you probably will never know exactly why but yeah every ranch yeah. was always just every area was just a little bit all, different all a little different it's probably fairly similar you know in the in the deer and elk you know there's there's a lot of areas that will look good for deer or elk but that doesn't necessarily mean that every every you know I, I have one ranch five miles from the other ranch that may have, you know, 50 bull elk on it in the winter and the other one might have five. So yeah, I think yeah. it just, it, it's probably something fairly similar and it, some of it may have to do with, well, the one ranch with 50 bulls has no cattle grazing and the one with five bulls has a lot of cattle grazing. It, it's probably fairly similar because if I've got a ranch that's heavily overgrazed, there's less jackrabbits, there's less, you know, squirrels there's less mice there's less everything else and then if i put you know i i limited the food to 10 percent of the ranch right next to it with that heavy grazing and lack thereof food for vermin and whatnot whatever else it, it probably has a similar impact oh i'm sure for sure yeah. so yeah 
So see, that's what I've always wanted to get into predator management, but the other direction, right? Like how can I manage this ranch? So I have the most coyotes possible. <laughs> so, you know, that's yeah. uh, I, that's like my dream someday. If I hit the lottery, I'm going to buy myself a ranch and I'm going to manage it for predators, but it's going to be the opposite way, right? Like how many predators can I get on this damn ranch, you know, at well, once. So well, don't let me on the outskirts of you because I'm <laughs> be opposing you on the whole. Yeah, thing. yeah, exactly. <laughs> So back to back to your past a little bit and kind of how you got into hunting, you know, just from conversation with you, you know, you obviously do this in the winter, but you kind of have a, you, you're able to seasonal workout, right? Hunt throughout the, the hunting months, but then you do a little something different in the summer. Yeah. So I, I've got, I, I lease uh pasture for cattle. So I basically get the cattle in May or June and I I'm shipping them out in September, October, November, just kind of depending on what, what works. And obviously in those five months, I'm pretty busy, but it gives me a lot of time for the, and for the hunting and everything else through the winter and shows and getting around. And that's yeah. obviously how I met, how I met all the Eastman's and Reekers and all of them. Um, but it, it's pretty unique because I'm, I'm generally, you know, a snowbird. <laughs> I mean, I can yeah. go, I can do whatever in the winter because I don't, I can't even get to my ranch most of the time, you know, there's five feet of snow or whatnot. Um, but yeah, it, it, we, we try to set our schedules with, you know, big game hunting and well, now, now I'm kind of working on getting into the coyote deal, but they, uh, with, with the intention that we're free from, you know, the end of September through, through no, the end of November or sometimes December, depending on, depending on what seasons we're looking at and whatnot. And, and it, it's pretty unique because it, it really is. And that's the more I get into the predator deal. I got the ideal predator hunting time completely free oh, yeah. schedule. So the best fur, the best, the best reactions out of them and everything else. So that's kind of my next phase as I continue forward on, on working on. So in the um, summer, you'd mentioned something about wildfire fighting wild. Was that just like a random thing you were doing or is that something you actually well, go and. No, we've got flip. some government contracts and whatnot. And so we put a lot of heavy equipment on fires. So I think this year I spent about, we only had one, one or two calls this year, but I think I spent 25 days or so fighting wildfire, Fine. mostly in Oregon. Um, but we've been called all over the country, New Mexico, Arizona. Yeah. Yeah. That's but yeah that, so our whole, and it's kind of a family ordeal. My brother and my dad all, we all are kind of in the same, same contract. We all go around and help the best we can for everything. And then, uh, my brother takes care of our cattle from, uh, well, I guess from November through May and I take care of them essentially and everyone else is cattle around from May through November. So then we, uh, he's not free and he's got a lot more freedom in the summer <laughs> and I'm, I'm busy in the summer and not busy at all in the winter. So we, yeah, heck yeah. Family dynamic, I guess, but it, yeah, uh, that's, that's cool. I, you know, I have a similar situation. I have a lawn care business that keeps me busy in yeah. the summer and then roll into the coyote stuff. And it's like, I love the change, man. I mean, yeah, I can't, I've been doing that for like 20 some years. I, I can't imagine having like a real job where I have to go to the same place every day for 365 days a year. You know, I, for me, the, I just like the anticipation of the new season coming up, whether it's whatever, you know, you kind of, okay, I'm burned out of this. It's time to go to the next season and, you know, yeah, for sure. Roll right into the next one. And anything where you're, where you're in a, you know, essentially seasonal work, you know, I mean, you, you might do four times the hours of, of a nine to five job, you know, but you're, 
but that's why you're done in you know, yeah. six months or whatever else. And it gives you a lot of freedom and, and that's, and obviously I love hunting. So then the more you start learning about predators and coyotes and, you know, calling and everything else, it gives you a lot of, it actually gets me excited now that I'm, <laughs> I'm, done. I'm done today is my first day really off for, for the last six months. So, so after that, we're, uh, we're going to roll into the coyotes and we're see what, see what. So happens. growing up on the ranch, with your dad outfitting us, I'm sure you, I'm sure you had some experience with the coyotes pretty early on. Do you remember your first ever coyote that you shot? I don't remember my first ever coyote, but I, you know, I would be fairly certain that it was some pups because that was kind of, a, <laughs> uh, that was just kind of, it's pretty tough for, for a four-year-old with a, with a chipmunk 22 to knock down much, much yeah, yeah. 30 yards or whatever, but but no, uh, I, I remember pretty vividly at about five, I was taking some antelope hunters and they were all missing and blah, blah, blah. And I was pretty controlled on my shots, but I sh shot a coyote after they missed a couple boxes of shells or whatever. That was kind of what, what everyone did back in the day was missed a lot with a nine power and who knows what oh, yeah. yardage antelope hunting. So um, I shot one and the, I remember getting back in to pick up and the hunter was like, how did you do that? <laughs> oh, I guess I don't know. I just everyone let me practice, and I guess I just got pretty good. I don't, but uh, but no, that's and then it it kind of you know obviously it, it, you evolve all the time as a hunter. But we you know you started out you just shoot as much as you could whenever you could at every coyote that was running, jumping, whatever you could possibly think of, and then you know through high school we got started getting into the long range shooting a lot, and so then our the coyotes were our you know our long range test type oh, of yeah. for, for bullets and everything else. Heck we're, you know, testing our elk guns and whatever else we could do on coyotes. And then, you know, obviously now, now I'm, I've gone through the whole long range phase and now I'm back to, I want to shoot them at 10 yards, you know, off the top of the call, which is a totally different game. And it, you know, it, if, especially when you start, and obviously, you know, better than most, it, when you start talking, trying to film it and get the shots on, on, on camera and everything else, your your window goes just drastically down oh, yeah yeah you know and then it comes down to you know we used to shoot them freehand and now we're talking everything's on a bipod and every or a tripod or and the camera's on another tripod and uh, you know a backup shooter's on another tripod yeah, yeah. you're trying to you just limit in your 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 mistakes and issues the best you can and trying to get trying to get did your dad do any calling is that, is that how kind of you got, or did you kind of get into that on your own? What, how no, that we kind of just unfold? got up. We, we, you know, we, we mostly, he never really did any calling. No, but you know, obviously the, like e-calling and whatever else was, wasn't a, wasn't even really a thing for until back, oh, yeah. I don't know, 2010, maybe I don't, it, that was, well, unless you had the cassette deck player. Yeah. You know, yeah. Back, or yeah. Whatever, you had an old cassette <laughs> and I mean, I remember, you know, we saw people on TV doing it and whatever else. Um, but I think, you know, if I come from a city and I go out and it, it's, it make it a trip to go call coyotes, you know, we, it was just kind of an incidental for us. Like, well, we're out with the cows. There's five coyotes in the cows. We're going to, you know, we got to be good shooters and oh, safe. Yeah. And, and you, you learn fast. Well, you know, yeah, we might be rolling out of the feed pickup with a gun, but, or out the window or whatever it may be, but you, you know, you learn a lot about controlling the situation and you're placing your shots and making sure you don't have any issues with, you know, backdrops or anything else, because obviously it's a coyote and the cow's worth, you know, a couple thousand oh, bucks. Yeah. 
you know, the coyote's just a nuisance to you at that moment. Um, but, but no, no, we, we really never, we weren't big into calling and, and really I haven't even been that big into the calling until the last probably say six or eight years or so. And then, uh, originally, you know, it was just a different way to get a coyote to come in. And now it's, yeah, yeah. You know, it's now it's learning a lot more the same way I, you know, do call an elk or anything else. It's, it's an art. And so, you know, what, what, what does this mean? What does that mean? When can I use this? When can I not use this? You know, and it, the really, uh, you know, locating them is the easiest part. Then you, then you get into the art of, okay, can we get, you know, this coyote that may have been called 10 times, can we get him into gun range and get him on camera and get him, you know, type of deal, which it's just, a, it's just a new challenge in a different, different way of hunting. So. So you mentioned about filming and stuff. Do you guys, do you guys have like a YouTube channel or what are you just filming no, for, just for the heck of it? Just to, yeah, we're something just to watch back for the, for the heck of it. And I mean, probably with the intention of having something like that. Um, I've always kind of thought that, you know, I don't want to go week to week hoping I have footage. I want to go, I want to be able to put, you know, 10, if I'm going to do it, I want to do 10 episodes and, and I want to mix in some of my big game stuff and everything else. And yeah. I just think it's it you get you get okay at calling them and then I'm 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 I guess I'm the type of person who's just looking for the challenge right so it's we got you know we got real good at long range shooting we got real good at short range shooting and then well any coyote that stops at inside 500 we're you know getting up there 70 80 percent of killing them well what can we do can we get them into shotgun range can we get them into you know can we do this can we do that oh, yeah. and then, then you start talking well can I get the kill shot on film or can I do this? Well, it's just a, it's another, I guess another challenge. Might as well put yeah, yeah. one on top of there. So that's what it's it's unique, you know, filming for the last stand show. You know, we got camera guys following us around, and it's sometimes it's like way easy. It's like, okay, this is no problem. But then other times you're like, holy crap. Like we were just in Colorado last week and we had eight of us on stand. Oh three, man. Three Our camera guys and shooters. We had the rancher and his girlfriend. I mean, so like eight of us, right? So we're like, okay. And it's pretty wide open. If you've ever been out in eastern Colorado, there's not like a lot of cover <laughs> to see. Yeah. Yeah. So sure. it's like, and I, that's what I love about it. Like, okay, how can we get creative here? How can we mold this setup to to A, get this coyote to even come close enough to shoot without seeing eight of us sitting here, you know, and then get like badass footage, right? Like, yeah, for you sure. know, yeah. So it just adds that extra element of Okay. Not that coyote hunting's easy by any stretch, but some points it is. You're like, okay, what's the next thing to do? Whether yeah. that's getting them close, like you said, shotgunning them, um, you know, on purpose, not just as a tool, right? But or filming or whatever it is, you know, it's everybody kind of has their own little niche that they get into and say, okay, this is the next thing I want to try to do, you know? Yeah. And I, I think for me, so I, you know, I, I guess. I've progressed because I started as a, you know, big game guide and obviously shooting coyotes incidentally, just, you know, with the ranching lifestyle yeah. and whatever else. But the, I, I got to a point where hunting myself. So I, I may take, uh, I think this year I took 15 hunters or so. So if I take, if I look at that and I say the average guy, it takes, let's just even say five years to, to draw a tag and he may be able to hunt two or three States or something like that. So he, let's say he gets maybe one, even one tag a year for 30 years. You know, he, he maybe hunts 30 times. If you go deer and elk, you know, you might get up there 60 hunts. Well, I might do 60 hunts in four years, three or four years. 
and I figure, uh, so I'm, I essentially, my point being that I'm getting three to five times the experience of most guys. Right. So when I go out for myself, then I, I have to, as a sportsman, I guess, and I raise not only my standards, but I raise, okay, what are we, what are we going to do differently? You know, I mean, we got the long range shooting deal and whatever anyone thinks of that. Well, now we're going to go back to the, you know, eighties, we're going to get back to the hundred yard shots, you know, and, you know, sneaking in on them and getting the wind. Right. I mean, just, I, I, it just, whatever is the challenge, I guess. And, and not to, not that it's solely a game. I mean, obviously you're feeding your family and doing a lot of different things and, and, being as you know ethical and humane as possible even in the whole coyote deal i mean um that's why you know you get them close you get head you i mean head is this most humane kill you can get you know headshot oh, yeah. on coyote, whatever else and i think you know i got a lot of experience with the big game i don't have as much experience calling the coyotes and doing all that stuff so it's just a learning curve and and going as fast as you can to learn as much as you can and then trying to get to that point where well heck what can we get it all on film can we you know can we get it where three out of five stands, we get a coyote, you know, I mean, it, it yeah, yeah. well, what's the next level, what's the next level. And, and it's the same thing with the guiding, you know, I, I just, I try to set a standard for, we're going to get inside this range. We're going to get this done. We're going to make sure it's a controlled situation. We got to climb that mountain and it's still be rested in time to, you know, get a belt moving across the hill. I mean, it's, it's all adds together. And I think it just for coyotes, calling them is is its own art and then all of the things surrounding it are kind of like the challenge of guiding right so i'm trying to get well if i can get them close now and i can get them on film it's adding a step for me that you know you don't have to do by any means and it doesn't always add more to the experience but anything for me that's more difficult is more unique i guess is you know there's a reason why there's guys that snowboard down stuff that i look at i'm like (laughs) i would never try that and and there's a reason why there's, you know, guys that trophy hunt and guys that don't, you know, they, one guy says, well, I, it's a big enough challenge for me to just go get meat for my freezer. And the other guy says, well, I'm happy, you know, putting 30 days in the field and, and making it a challenge and picking a st- size standard and doing all these things and only shooting this distance. And it's just, everyone has a different view on it and a different challenge that they're wanting to pursue, I guess. Have you done any guided coyote stuff within your clients? We have, we've only done one guided coyote hunt and it's, and we we're kind of, I'm looking at that as far as the next step kind of, because I, I, I want to become as proficient as possible as I do it. But obviously I always, it's kind of like even like anything training cow dogs or whatever else you get to the level. I mean, you know, my dog might sit and stay at six months, but then you let them out on a cow and it just goes all out the window. And that's kind of the same with guiding, you know, you can become, you can be a really great hunter. And I know a lot of really great hunters. And when they go to try to guide, it's just all of a sudden they, you know, they're trying to control the hunter themselves, the, you know, still making sure the animals there, blah, blah, blah. Well, all of a sudden it's like you put them back in, you know, grade school, they just learn everything. And I'm sure it'll be that way with me other than the fact that I have a lot of guiding experience, but I, I, I'm not quite to the, I think it'd be, there'd be a lot of, a lot of low, low, low percentage hunts <laughs> for the first little bit. So I have to find me some guys that are willing to do that. But um, it's, it's, up. it's unique. You know, the guiding stuff is, you know, I do well, just with my schools and I do some guided coyote stuff, you know, have for quite a few years. I've never done any big game guided stuff. 
you know, so I don't, I guess I can't really compare. Um, but it is unique. The fact that when you start looking at land access is a huge part of it. You know, you can take that, let's just say that 12,000 acre ranch you got or 50,000 acre ranch and you can go out there and take 15 guys out there over the course of a month or two months. And maybe they all have a chance at killing nice bucks or nice bulls. Right. Yeah. You know, the tricky part is about the access point with coyote hunting, how it just is different, right? Like yeah. how much more land access you really need. <clears throat> Cause in, let's just take 50,000 acre ranch. Right. I mean, in that type of country, you know, you can probably hunt, you know, probably in the, any, anywhere between six and 8,000 acres a day, probably as far as coverage with, you know, how the land lays, you know? Yeah. So realistically, you're going to get maybe, I don't know, six days of hunting out of that one ranch before you have to go back and start hunting the same places again. Yeah. And that's the tricky part for me is what guys don't understand. You know, they go deer hunting, they go sit in the same stand day after day, after day, after day, after day, or you can go deer hunting and hoping that a new buck moves in because of the yeah. rut or whatever. Right. It's just coyote hunting is so much different. It's, it's hard to manage or harder to manage the properties. I would suspect, you know, just to keep that success level, just like yeah. you're wanting everybody to have a chance to kill a big buck or big bull. It doesn't always yeah. happen. Right. But same with coyote hunting. Like you want everybody yeah. to have a chance to kill some coyotes. And if I'm taking them back to the same stuff every week, then by the time the third go around, then it's like, okay, we're chasing these coyotes. Now we've hunted for a yeah. month straight, you know? Yeah. And that, and that doesn't even account, you know, the, you, in my experience, you might miss a deer and he might be on the same hill or, you know, within that half mile area, you miss a coyote. And he learned a lot. Like, he's like, well, I heard that sound and I'm not coming <laughs> back to that, you know? Yeah. And that's like, I, I try to be, I've always said, even when we were, we weren't calling them, we were just shooting them. You know, you can tell when you drive in an area and guys have been shooting from a pickup because that coyote at 800 yards is running to get to 1200. And then he might stand there and look at you. Well, what, what are you going to do at that kind yeah. of yard? I mean, you got to be, even in a, a phenomenal marksman doesn't have the ability to get set up and kill that coyote at yeah. 1300 in the amount of time he's going to stop. And, you know, a lot of like, I even, I, as I progressed, even in, even in that aspect of just shooting them incidentally, I've, I've noticed if I don't take the shot at the one running at 500, the next time that right in that area, that coyote might stand there at 500. Well, then now I've got that coyote in a range that I can make a realistic calculation and a, and a fast enough setup to, to make it happen. And, and then that's the next big thing, like the suppressors and everything else. Now, I mean, when we used to shoot, you know, you shoot unsuppressed, you're that 6,000 acres you can cover in a day. It probably just got cut in half because every coyote in 15,000 acres on a flat, you know, halfway flat ground, he's like, well, I just heard two shots over there. I'm moving a half mile that way. Well, now you just lost an extra couple thousand acres. And, uh, and it, I feel like it's, it's fairly similar probably all over, but you know, if you get those coyotes to 200 yards and you kill 85% of them versus when you could get them to 400 and you weren't capable of a lot of those 400 yard shots, well, you're either going to not take the shot or you're going to, you know, take a shot that you may or may not make in a lot of cases, especially, you know, on, on a guy who's not used to that type of scenario. And, you know, it's a small target. I mean, it, oh, yeah. For anyone or anything. But, and I think for me, from in my experience, I, I just work on the what I can control. And it's 
taking the shots that are realistic. It's the same as the big game hunting, you know, staying with side inside your limits and, and not, you know, not putting extra stress on an area that you otherwise don't have to. I mean, it, and, and that's for us, the, like between, between the suppressors and, and just taking the realistic shots and, and, and really, I mean, it leads you to just thinking a lot more about, okay, what setup can we make to get this coyote to 200 yards instead of where's, you know, is he going to see us or see something that he doesn't like at 400 and then hold up. And obviously we aren't in the open, we aren't in open ground or like, you know, Eastern Colorado or whatever, like you were saying, you know, I mean, we always have the opportunity to set up where a coyote can't see us outside 200 or 300 yards or whatever. Yeah, that's that perfect. Yeah. And then, well, if you've got two guns and that, and you make sure that coyote's inside 300 yards and you're on tripods, you, your percentage is yeah. Like, oh yeah. It's gone. It's gone like way up and above what what it could have been. And you know, in high school, we might set up in an open flat and start calling. Well, we're sitting out there or standing or whatever we're trying to do up next to a tree. Well, I mean, what what are the odds that and that coyote might come from 360 degrees? And I think I think in coyote hunting, you know, guys like you obviously know. Okay, what can we set up? And what can we not set up? And I've talked almost everyone I've talked to that is is competent in my opinion in in the realm of coyote hunting and calling. They know what they can set up in, but a lot less of them talk about. Okay, you need to think about your setup as far as like it's the same as when I'm calling an elkin with a bow and arrow. If I have a 80 yard open right in front of me, and I'm calling that bull, he's gonna stop at 80 yards in the brush. You'll never kill yep. that bull. I mean, he will never come inside that 80 yards. Now, if I've got a 10 yard opening right in front of me and I'm in the brush and the bull's going to come to that edge of that 10 yard opening, he's inside 30 yards now. So yeah, he might still be in the brush, but he's in a, he's in a fully killable range and capability of nearly any, any hunter. And it's the same. Uh, I think it's lost a lot of times the fact that when you're setting up in these scenarios with coyotes, it's just, you have to think about it in a similar way. Like it's not just, Oh, let's go see if we can call a coyote in it's set it up. Okay. The coyote can't come from behind us. Or if he does come from behind us, he has to circle us because he can't see us or the call until he gets, you know, inside of our peripheral vision essentially, or, you know, he has to come over this Ridge. Well, if once he comes over that Ridge, he's in gun range and we're, 95% kill in that yardage distance, you know, whereas if I go out and set up in a flat, like I said, and I, you know, I call for an hour with 10 different sounds, odds are there's a coyote inside 300 yards. Well, now he's looking like, well, that there's definitely not a bird and a rabbit and a <laughs> whatever sitting out there, or whatever, you know, and, and he's going to learn a lot and they, you know, either don't give credit to how smart the coyotes are, or they just don't think of it as if they're, you know, any other hunting scenario, I guess is my point. Yeah. I talk about that a lot, you know, and people look at me and raise their eyebrows when I tell them I purposely limit my visibility. Right. Yeah. And they're like, what, why, why wouldn't you, why wouldn't you want to go sit up on the top of the hill where you can see out there for 800 yards? Well, guess what? So can the coyote. Right. Yeah, you know, and, and I hear it all the, Hey, you know, I saw these coyotes sitting out there at four or 500 yards, just looking at me. Marketing. What do I need to do? Right. And I'm like, well, it could be a million things, right? Was that coyote educated like we always want to talk about could be was it that this coyote just got to a point where he can see everything and he's like yeah i'm good man i don't want to come that far right because you gave 
the coyote advantage, right? Exactly. You know, instead of like you said, if I had looked at your setup just a little bit more, maybe you could have moved over, you know, this way a couple hundred yards or dropped down like into a bowl, you know, where you're looking across up at a ridge or something or have that opening a lot less. And now you're forcing that coyote to have to come to a spot, you know, yeah. where where they they have to be within shooting range before they can even see what's going on. Yeah. And, and, you know, I think the cross reference for me between like archery elk hunting and coyote hunting is, is, is pretty good for me because I look, you know, calling, calling of any type is an art, right? So, and then everyone can go out there with a call and they can make all kinds of noises and they can do whatever, but it's when you start thinking realistically about, you know, what do these calls mean? When can I use these? you know, my setups now when I, you know, because if I go out, if I go elk hunting every time and I start calling, but there's a hundred yards of open, I will never have an elk in bow range unless he's just like, you know, really, I don't know that you ever will. I mean, you, you're going to have such low, it's going to be yeah. a 5% odds or something like that. And, you know, every, I think that is what gets people, you know, they're coyote hunting, they're out in a sagebrush, you know, they can get up on this hill and they can see a long ways. And then, but again, you know, they can see that far and the, your capabilities are only so good on, a you know, five inch kill zone on a coyote, you know, oh, yeah. and, and, you know, you get, then you add in, you know, winter hair top and bottom. <laughs> you're like, Oh man, that just, you know, you That's have a wind, lot of area you that know. you think, yeah. And that you think you could hit one and you can't actually do it. And you know, that's, that's been my biggest thing with, with the calling and, you know, is, is let's, let's get into a realistic situation like where, yeah, it might be the oldest, smartest coyote, but if I put a new sound in front of him and I, you know, and I'm pretty confident in that sound and he has to look at me in gun range. So, I mean, yeah, he might just pop over and be like, Oh shoot. And then turn and run. Well, maybe he will, but if he has to come to a hundred yards, your odds just go like, I mean, through the roof. Oh, yeah. Just, I mean, just, you know, you, you're just way more capable in every way at that, at that kind of yardage. And yeah, I don't, it's just. That, yeah. That's where I think a lot of, you know, I get messages all the time from guys all over the country about various topics and things. And I think that's a lot of your Midwestern and Eastern guys that try to hunt coyotes. They struggle during the daytime why they give up daytime hunting altogether and they go with the thermal hunting is because they, they fail to realize this, this one piece of the puzzle right here, you know, in a lot of that country, you have agriculture, right? You'll have a big field where maybe you can see across it four or 500 yards and it's surrounded by timber, right? Crick yeah. bottoms, whatever. Well, they watch, you know, videos of us out West calling these coyotes across an open pasture, four or 500 yards. So during the day, you know, they're thinking, okay, I'm going to set up on this big field and this coyote should come running right across, right? And that's not the, necessarily the case. You know, a lot of times the coyote's using the cover and he may pop up and, you know, maybe, who knows the scenario, but maybe they didn't get close enough to the corner of the field or whatever to get a, a reasonable shot. But then they go out there at night and they're like, wow, these coyotes are running right across the open at night. Well, it's, you know, not understanding the dynamic of those coyotes and why they're running across that stuff at night versus the day. And uh, But a lot of it has to do with your setups and, purposely yeah. giving the coyotes visibility or not and and yeah. how they respond yeah for sure that's interesting you know just back to the educated coyote thing this we were talking about this on a couple podcasts ago about really what is an educated coyote right like you know we'll never know i mean we'll never know if that coyote 
mean, even a coyote that you go back into the same field and see him standing there, will we ever really know if that was the same exact coyote, right? Yeah. You never know, right? We make these vast assumptions on these very small pieces of intel that we get when it comes to educated coyotes and really how fast are we educating coyotes, you know, and I was comparing it to like training dogs, right? Like how, how much frequency do you have to have training a dog to get them to finally learn it? Right. Yeah. You know, so does one instance really mess up a coyote? You know, it's yeah. one of those fun things I like to talk about because we'll never really know. It's just all theory. Everybody has their own theory, but it's, it's interesting to, because when you start talking to other people and everybody has their own experiences, like I said, it's always a few small experiences and then, but everybody kind of has these, these major ideas based off of those small instances that happen. Yeah. Which, it, and that, I think, you know, we can tell if it's the same elk or we can tell if it's the same deer because, I mean, generally speaking, you know, yeah. they're identifiers, right. And there isn't really identifiers on coyotes um, unless, you know, Ricky has a chopped yeah. off ear, yeah. whatever else it may be. And but I think you could, you could also cross-reference it to, to elk. You know, I mean, if I, if I, if I were to be calling an elk in, I mean, I, and he keeps seeing me, he's not going to come to the same sound. You know what I mean? It, it's going to have to be something different or a different situation or a different setup. And really that's, I mean, in that, in my opinion, that's the whole deal on educated coyotes. I don't care if someone's been out there, you know, with the same call 50 times, well, he might've learned that one, but you start throwing a mixed bag at him. They're curious enough. A lot of times he's gonna, and if you have a good setup that he's going to come look at it or, you know, he, he's like, well, man, there's magpies freaking, I hear other coyotes over there. There's, you know, bird noises and a dying rabbit. I mean, there's something over there dying or, you know, there, there's something that I want to know what it is. And, and, you know, deer and elk get the same way. I mean, if I'm, if I'm standing in one spot all day and bugle, a bull elk's going to be like, well, why is he bugling all day long? You know, I mean, he's, he's trying to show off or something. Yeah, so yeah. I want to know what that is. And, and all your setup then determines, well, does he come to 400 yards and stop and look at you and know, okay, well, that's not what I thought it was. Or does he get to, you know, your shooting range, your comfortable range, whatever, you know, whether bow, rifle, shotgun, whatever you want to talk. But, but that's, that's my, kind of my opinion of how you can, you can kind of throw a wrench in the whole deal of regardless of if it's an educated coyote, if he's, you know, if you put together the right stand and the right noises and the right, uh, and the right setup to, you're going to increase your odds, even if that coyote's been called 50 times, in my opinion, because he, whether or not, you don't know if it is the same coyote or not, but you know, that area has been hit hard with one, you know, I'm calling in one area with pup distress all the time, but then if I roll in there and I throw in, well, I got magpies. Well, they know there's deer around and they know, you know, that those magpies and those crows, they definitely sound like there's a dead animal over there. Cause now there's 50 crows and magpies in one spot. Well, he's going to be like, man, do I need to go look at that. And then yeah, yeah. Pretty quick, he comes over and you pop, <laughs> he pops over the hill and he's like, well, why is there not a whole bunch of crows and magpies? Well, <laughs> he's already dead yeah. because it's just, uh, and that's, that's all, that's kind of my same theory with elk hunting with a bow and arrow is just, you know, it, it doesn't matter how many screw ups you had in that, in a, on even that same elk. But if you, if you think about all the reasons why you didn't get him and then you look at over on the hill and you're like, man, that bull right there, if I get in the middle of that bull, 
he has to get to 10 yards before he even knows that I'm not an elk. And then you get in, you, you wait, you know, either you either wait till on the elk, either wait till he's in that area or you make him get in that area in one way or another, you know, I mean, you, you pressure him with some bugles and move him into that area. And then you get in that area where, you know, okay, this is the right setup on this bull and he has to get in bow range. And well, he's going to, he's going to come take a look. I mean, you know, even if it's six times out of 10, that's a lot higher than 0%. Like, you oh, had yeah. So, and I, well, it's, it's interesting, you know, we'll never know the answer. That's the shitty part about oh, this, yeah. right? Like we'll never know, you know, so I tell people what we, what do we do know? Right. What do we do know is I think frequency is a huge part of that. So, you know, the less amount of pressure I can put on them before I go back again, yeah. It'd be like you going after one bull hard for a whole day or two. And then you let, for some reason, let's say that bull stays in that area for a week or two. And then you go back in 10 days, two weeks later, your odds probably of killing that bull are going to be better than hunting him for like four or five oh, yeah. days straight. Right. Yeah. Pushing him all over the place. You know, yeah. coyote hunting, I think that's the only thing we can probably all agree on is, is frequency, right? Like if I can lengthen the time before I have to go back after this coyote again, the better off I probably will be. Um, you know, so more of the story, you know, have enough ground or you have to go back and hunt it every day, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and I think, I mean, I don't, obviously I don't spend a lot of time on small pieces and whatnot. Um, but you know, it, it, you, if you go into it with the intention of, of changing your game, you know, each time you can probably hunt a pretty small piece of ground because, you know, it, if I go in with pup distress and I'm, you know, just going crazy and whether I get a coyote or not, but you know, if I wait a day and then I come back in on a different corner and I, you know, I'm, you know, say it's, there's a lot of jackrabbits and I go full jackrabbit and I just work the whole stand based off it being, you know, a totally different setup and it being essentially a different, a different reason for that coyote to come in. I can probably call a pretty small area a few different times, as long as I'm not, you know, being in there, you know, making myself known a lot in a land in that many different ways. Um, which well, is, you got to look at that too. Like the first time you go in there, did you call on the coyote and miss him? Did he whinge yeah. it? You know, was there some sort of instance that, you know, the coyote learned from it or did a coyote not show up at all? Right. Like I was wondering yeah. that, like if I went in there and called a spot and nothing showed up, did I really mess anything up? Did anything really happen other than me just wasting my time making that stand? Maybe not. Or did, so, or did a coyote, did a coyote actually show up and I didn't see him? You know, that could be yeah. too, you yeah. know, but yeah. like after, after you go in like three different times and screw the same coyote up, maybe it's just time to start ice fishing <laughs> or so, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. okay, you know, but yeah, like how many times can you keep going after the same sucker and you're like, Oh man, this coyote now is as super, no matter well, you know, even if you switch up the sound, I would think if that coyote's to the point where he's that cautious, that man, you'd better be on. If if you messed up the easy shots, <laughs> you know, the yeah. first couple times, well, what are your odds of going and killing this coyote now when he's just barely peeking around or is going to show up for just a split second? You know. Well, and, and like you said, though, it's all you know. It is it is theory based, so it's 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 you got to go off the highest percentage, right? I mean, you yep. you don't know you don't know if it's the same coyote, but you know you go off the theory that he's learning, I guess, and that's your, that's your best, yeah. that's your best theory. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. that's, that's my thought because if you're, if you're under the assumption that coyotes are always getting smarter, you are going to work on getting smarter and better yourself. And really that's probably, 
I guess, I mean, if you look at it, what makes, you know, you higher percentage than the guy who goes out twice on a weekend, right? You know, you, you put yourself in the field, you gave the, gave yourself the most opportunities to learn about, you know, your, essentially your game or your, whatever you're after. And you, you know, you made the best call you could make based off experience and your theories, you know, that you've put together. And that's really, I mean, that's what you know makes anyone the best that they are. They put enough time in and they try to learn. You've got to want to learn if you're going to, if you're going to try to be good at anything, you know I mean? Oh yeah. You can't, you can't go in saying I'm the best that there ever was and think you're going to be the best there ever yeah, was. Yeah. I mean, you got to go in thinking that there's always someone better than you, or there's always something or someone smarter than you. And you got to try to learn from every scenario. And I think anyone who, I think as soon as you start guiding, you start realizing like, there's a lot I can't control and I got to <laughs> yeah. control what I can control. You know, I mean, yeah. I can control how a guy sets up. I can control, you know, if what kind of rest he gets, I can control my suggestions. I mean, I can, I can do my best to find the game and everything else, but you know, you just, you can't you control got, his trigger pull. You can't control his trigger pull <laughs> and you can't, you can't control what he's comfortable with. Right. But oh, I can yeah. put him in the best put every, you know, put it, put the hunter in the best scenario and then think about it and put myself in the best scenario calling coyotes that, that I can. And, uh, or that I'm, that I'm aware of, you know, and, and my best stand is probably a lot different than what you think is the best stand. And, you know, it, they may both work or they may both not work or what, you know, whatever else, but you go with the best of your knowledge and with the intent of trying to learn in each scenario, like, okay, I went on three stands today and that one worked really good. And it may not work the best next time, but that's my theory for the next one, you know, and then improve on that. But I, I, the coyote deal is so unique because, you know, I guess there are some states with seasons and whatnot, but you basically have unlimited opportunity to learn if you want, because oh, there's, yeah. you know, you, you can go, hunt, I mean, you can hunt in Oregon, call them every day of the year for 365 days if you want with, you know, Anytime in the daylight, you know, so if you want to learn about daytime hunting, you go to a state that has some daytime hunting and you, oh, yeah. learning, you know, and then, which I think if you can become a, a good daytime hunter, you're going to go to a state that you can thermal hunt them and you're going to, I mean, you're going to, oh, hundred percent. That's what I was going to say was after you go after the same cut twice in the daytime, then it's time to cheat a little bit and break the thermal yeah. out and go kill them. <laughs> go to the thermal, you know? <laughs> yeah. and like, you know, that's in Oregon. It, you know, we can't, we can't hunt really. We can't hunt them at night. Hardly. I can spotlight them at night, but then you just talk in percentages. I mean, well, what can, how often can I get that coyote in a beam this big? I oh, mean, yeah. it, it's just such, such a low chance. So then, you know, you go back, you go to Kansas or South Dakota or something and you start calling you're like, look how there's coyotes on all sides of me. You know, I yeah. mean, it's, it's a, it's a totally different game, but you work on, you know, you work on doing the best you can with where you're at and learning as much as you can and taking advantage of, you know, things we do have going for us, like, you know, which uh, I think we have a lot of coyotes and we don't, I mean, there, I'm sure there are guys that, you know, there's guys I'm sure that, do they got decoy dogs and they're phenomenal callers and whatever in Oregon. I, I don't, I don't know that many myself, but uh, I got a lot less competition than if I come out there, you know, I, I, if I come out, if I go to, you know, Wyoming and they're or wherever, I don't know. I know, you know, Nebraska, Kansas, South Dakota, and they're calling them at night. And some of those guys are missing them, you know, well, 
you're going to have a lot of trouble being an outside guy rolling into a state like that where oh, they yeah. can hammer them at night and trying to call one in in the daylight. You know, I mean, that's just going to be a, a tough one, which I'm I'm sure, but. Um, yeah, it all, it, it's, it's a year cycle, right? I mean, we don't have an unlimited supply of coyotes. This is what I always try to talk about, you know, back in the day before thermal was popular, you know, where fur hunting was probably the primary reason guys were hunting coyotes. You know, there was like a four or five month self-imposed season. You could hunt coyotes year round in all these States forever, yeah. but so coyotes got a break right there. They weren't being pressured as continually as they are now. It seems like, especially these States that allow thermal hunting, you know, 365 days a year. Yeah, I think there's just a, there, there's gotta be some give and take somewhere, you know, yeah. I don't know. I'm curious to see, you know, we talked about that on a podcast a while back when we were, specific, we were talking about thermal hunting and just really what the, what the impact of that is, you know, like you said, you go to a new spot or the, you know, a place that, you know, you normally can go in October and it's usually really good because in normal years, the coyotes haven't been hunted since last February. So they kind of sat there, but now with the popularity of thermal and guys hunting year round in some of these spots, well, now these coyotes are, are hunted throughout the summer months, you know, at night. So they never really do get a break, you know, and we talked about that frequency of time, right? If you give a coyote yeah. six months to forget about what the hell happened, trust me, they'll forget about what happened and yeah. you kill them, you know, but if they're not ever getting a break now and you're killing off more coyotes through the summer months, yeah, there's only so many coyotes out there, right? It's not like there's an unlimited yeah. supply of coyotes on the outskirts that are going to move right into your place. As soon as you kill these out, it's all based upon the, the carrying capacity and how many coyotes are out there. Right. So yeah, it's unique. I, you know, nothing against thermal hunt. Hell, more power to you if you can hunt all all year yeah. and want to go kill coyotes. Great, but I just, I just think people need to understand there ha there is some sort of impact. Well, um, and and it's it's. I mean, at some level, it's going to have to get looked at in the same way that any big game hunting gets looked at. Either you know, either there get seasons or quotas or whatever else. Because I mean, I, I mean, I'm not looking to eradicate coyotes. I'm just looking to control my population that i can control you know because you know they do have an impact especially when you start talking calving and fawns and everything else and like for us in our particular area the mule deer are so i mean they're dwindling so bad that in my opinion i look at it well i think the coyotes are going to survive regardless because you know they're oh yeah that kind of hammer on them but uh but i also look at it and think like well you know can i save a hundred extra fawns out here. You know, I, I don't know what, what that impact is going to be. Um, because I mean, I've seen them, hunt. I I've, I've probably got some film of them hunting like antelope fawns and whatnot, and they're pretty, pretty efficient at it. You know, I mean, they, they start circling around, a, around a doe and they just keep going until they jump a fawn and then two or three of them grab hold of it. And then oh, yeah. they got one and maybe the other fawn gets away. Maybe it doesn't, but, um, you know, it, it's, it's all pieces of the puzzle. It's the same as the cougars. It's the same as the wolves. I mean, if they're going to be here, like we, we, we know that. So then it, it, it comes into like play in my opinion, you know, we have to look at, a, you know, if we weren't here, they would control themselves, but we can't look at it like that humans aren't here and we're going to manage all these game animals, blah, 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 blah. Like, we have to control the predators in the same way a lack of population of game animals would, would, you know, I mean, yep. they would die off. Yeah. Okay. So we need to look and say, okay, well, you know, if our goal is 10,000 deer and our goal is 10,000 elk, 
you know, we can have 10 wolves and we can have 10 bears and we can have 10 cows or whatever. You know, I mean, the number is always, it's, it's, that's not a direct representation, but, but I mean, but we have to also be realistic and say, okay, well, the humans can kill all 10,000 deer, you know, but, but we need to set this number. And then it's going to come down to at some point, if we want it to be as realistic to actual, you know, nature as possible, we're going to have to set this quota and this quota and this quota all the same. And, and be realistic, like, okay, well, the holding capacity, if we put 10,000 cattle out here, is going to be a lot lower. So do we need to adjust the cattle? Do we need to adjust the, you know, wildlife? What, what we need to look at it as a whole, which, you know, we don't, no one knows <laughs> yeah. at all. And you, you know, you know that, like, just like, you're like, man, I'd love to manage it for the best predator hunting. Well, you know, there's also, you know, a thousand ranches that are managing it for the worst predator hunting you can get, you yeah, know? Yeah. And, and, uh. I think at some, you know, it's all going to come to fruition at some point. Like, so, you know, we're going to have to look at everything as a whole, but we know what, when that is, that's a lot of, a lot of minds. that have. Oh to yeah. There. You, you brought up cougar hunt, mountain lion hunting before we jumped on this podcast, you talked yeah. about, uh, you know, branching out, you know, and, and actually doing some mountain lion hunting, not using dogs. Talk a little bit about yeah. that. Well, yeah. And, that, and so, uh, I think it would have been 1995, 1996. They they voted the state of Oregon voted to end end all hound hunting essentially of cougars and bears, and so I, you know, off of their figures, let's say the state of Oregon's cougar population was like three thousand at the time or something like that. Well, if you ask anyone around, there you know there would be they might see a cougar track. You know, I mean, they, they, if they had seen a cougar in their lifetime, they thought it was a pretty big deal. And now we're at the point where, you know, I know a handful of guys that are killing both of their cougars, you know, both cougar tags, filling both of them in a year. And, and, uh, and there's different ways of doing that, obviously. And like, you know, we talked before the podcast, but you know, you've, you've, you find the next best thing. Well, okay. They're big. They think they're the apex predator. They don't think anything's hunting them. So you walk out there with a, you know, your whatever you call or your, even your mouth call. I mean, and you go along and find a kill or track a track as long as you can, or, you know, you know, an area where you've seen one or something like that. And you start calling your percentage over a coyote is pretty drastically high. I mean, from, from our experience, if you can get in range, like say that 300 yard range, you got about a 70, 80% chance that that cat's going to get you know, he's going to come in whether, you know, you shoot him or you can't shoot him or he, you know, does whatever. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, but yeah, they, the, the calling for us and, and a lot, especially in Northeast Oregon, what I've seen, the cats around here, what I've found is their areas are so big, especially like the big toms, like, I mean, that everyone's interested in finding or whatnot is, you know, and I, I'm sure it's similar in a lot of areas, but terrain impacts what kind of circle that cat's going to make. You know, I mean, it, it might narrow it up a lot because there's a lot of ups and downs as far as the, the, you know, map circle that cat's going to be in or whatever else. Um, but what I've found versus in central Oregon, where we've had less luck with the calling and whatnot, but Northeast Oregon, the it's really difficult to track them, but it's a lot higher percentage than if you can get in that range, you're, you're going to stay in that range on him. Like, you know, it, it, I might put in 10 miles, but the cat only really went, you know, three miles on the map or whatever, just because of the train and the game and everything else. And, uh, but yeah, that, uh, I, I have, I haven't called any in 
myself, like by myself hunting and whatnot, but I've been with several guys who have called in, um, you know, I've kind of, I, my mentors, I guess, if you will, yeah, on, yeah. On the cats, um, that have, uh, that have called in a fair, like I, I, you know, 10 plus lions in that kind of country and just, just doing the same thing you do hound hunting, you know, cutting that track and tracking them down and, and trying to get either, you know, where you think you're really freshed up on that track or, um, or just find it, wait until you get him on a kill and then, you know, just, planning your setup well and calling him in calling him off the kill or calling him you know because he's generally laying 100 to 200 yards from that kill uh he either went to water or he went up you know to check a scrape or whatever else he whatever else he's got in the country and and for me i i spent a lot of time in that in that kind of country and i spent a lot of time behind the glass so i think well i've got three i've killed three lions with no with no hounds and just spot stock mostly um they spend like a, a lot of- like a typical day doing that you know how often would you cut a track i mean was that was it almost a guarantee you'd at least cut a track one track that yeah, day that we, you'd walk in we'd on always we'd always cut a track um but but it all depended on you know your time of day you cut that track or did i make a pass on that road the night before or can i loop around him and catch him you know as fresh as possible because i mean we those females and kittens and whatnot, you know, they, if you cut their track, you were going to catch them. I mean, if it was fresh snow and, and you had a fresh track, but the Tom, you know, a big Tom, like we might walk 15 miles and never, never find a kill or, or anything else. And then, then you got to either hope you got someone to pick you up or you're <laughs> going out. But, uh, would but you yeah. only stop and set up if you found a kill or would you along that track, would you stop and make a series of stands along there? No, we'd make a series of stands, especially if, if that, uh, if we were to, you know, say we, say we ran that road at 2 AM and there was no tracks. And then we run the road at 3 AM and we cut a track. Yeah. And then, you know, soon as we hit daylight at five, six, seven, whatever it is. And then, uh, basically it, our, our figure was 300 yards. And if you could make, if you could call every 300 yards, um, on a big Tom, if he's lined out, you, you probably won't catch him, but, or, you know, unless he's got a killer or whatever else, but on the, especially the females, especially, and really females with kittens, if you make a stand every 300 yards, your, your chances are, are really climbing from what we found. And, uh, there's a, you know, there's been a lot of guys that are real successful with How it. long a stands are you making only going that short of a distance? Um, usually like 15 minutes, really from what I saw, uh, and, you know, I kind of, I was pretty interested in just killing big Tom. So we were trying to, we are trying to, you know, you know, we were getting, well, we're getting two tags. We're going to spend all this time. We're going to yeah. get after the biggest cat we can find. Um, but there's uh, guys I hunt with that they've killed. I mean, they might shoot a female every year. I mean, pretty, pretty reliably. And they, uh, they, we pretty much found that if you're going 300 yards and you're calling for 15 minutes, if that cat didn't come in, it's still walking which that's, that's about how it went. And they, uh, I've, let's see, I've probably been either, you know, the pickup guy or the, or, or sitting there in the call with probably six or seven female lions get killed. And it's generally, if you hit that 300 yard mark and make a 10 to 15 minute call that she's, she, you'll, she'll sneak in, but you know, she's not coming blasting in like, yeah, yeah hyped up coyote but she'll sneak in and and 
even in my experience with the with the three lions I've killed, they rarely ever blow out of there. I mean, they're you, you can jump them and they they might run the first hundred yards. Well, and then they're going to sneak. So I mean, it and they, and a lot of the times the big toms, you just figure go to the elk country and they're going to be there because they they act a lot like a big bull elk. Like you know, they get a good meal. They're going to lay on a lay on a hill for a while. I mean, and they're going to and you can judge it a lot on the train on how you're going to call by that in my experience is that you look for the elk country and then once you get in that elk country like like you get it if you if you're going through deep you know big you know whatever big timber and you hit a hit a line where okay there's some mahoganies and a little bit of sun out on that hill that cat's probably laying in there and it, you know i mean if it's especially if there's a little bit of rock bluff and bluffage or something like that and then you look okay can i call every couple hundred yards in here you know and just keep it quiet because i want that i don't want to blow that cat out of here walking 300 yards you know or whatever else but uh but yeah it's it in my experience it's pretty effective on calling cats in and uh so know, if you have do have done both obviously coyotes and lions this is kind of a debate you know everybody's like you know you talk to some guys and like oh man calling in whether it's wolves or mountain lions or bobcats compared to coyotes like oh man it's just so much tougher you know, I think it has its own challenges, but overall, yeah. overall, what, overall, what do you, I mean, just the way that like lions come in compared to coyotes, yeah. you know, how would, would you rate each experience? I would say, you know, the, the problem with the, the difficulty in the lions is the physical part. I mean, because yep, they're in the roughest, toughest country in our area that you can even get in usually. And, but the, the actual act of calling in my experience is the lions are, are much easier to bring in. And, uh, it, I know, I know like a, a like a large number, 10 to 15 guys in our area that have been calling coyotes and called lions in and, and, and killed them pretty <laughs> successfully and not even intentionally just because they're, we're getting the number of lions. And I, I think if a coyote thinks that there's, a coyote is worried about an apex predator, right? Oh I yeah, mean, coyote's skittish. It's, yeah, it's thinking, oh well, shoot, what can I, you know, I got to make sure there's nothing on that thing. I got to make sure there's something that won't, you know, because a bear, a cougar, I mean, uh, if they've seen people, they're all going to kill them if they come in there, you know. And whereas a cougar, it just strolls in like, hey, what? I mean, I own the place. <laughs> I own this place. I mean, there's nothing that I'm scared of. If I see a bear, I mean, I might circle away, but I'm not gonna. I'm not worried about it, you know, and, and in my experience, they are less sneak. I mean, it seems like they'll get to that 10 yards and you, I mean, sometimes you may not even see them or, you know, 50 yards or whatever that line is of the thick stuff. And then they're, they get pretty cautious, but they stroll in pretty fast from, from what I've seen. And they don't, uh, they're, they're cool to call because they're, you know, quiet and slow and they're big. And yeah, when they yeah. get there, they're, you know, they're standing there at 50 yards, like, Hey, what's going on? You know, and it, <laughs> it's just a whole different, whole different animal. But I, I think that the, in my, my personal opinion, the, the physical difference is the, is the challenge with cats or, or lions anyway. Um, when I suppose two you're hunting, you know, you may hunt all day chasing down this track, trying yeah. to find this one particular cat, never yeah. get close enough to the cat, you know? Yeah. So, whereas another guy says, well, hell with that, I'm going to go, I can go waste a whole day calling coyotes and might kill three or four coyotes, you know, yeah. kind of a deal. Yeah. Well, and it's kind of, but I mean, you know, 
is where's the population number of those cats versus cat you know what i mean oh yeah for sure astronomically lower i mean it doesn't yeah regardless of you know where you are i mean it doesn't matter if you think you got the most cats that there is i mean you still got to be realistic like i mean yeah i'd call in four coyotes in a day but there's a half million coyotes oh yeah few hundred you know a few thousand cougars so i mean it's just a totally different deal and i think a lot of guys don't think about calling the lions and calling you know i mean probably even the bobcats and whatever else you know i mean and uh they think oh shoot you know i don't have dogs i can't catch that thing well the lion especially if it's got a kill it's not walking fast or far it's you know it might be especially if you found a kill that cat's going to water in the kill I mean, general and maybe a bedding area. I mean, you know, that that span in a lot of times what I've seen is less than 300 yards from water to kill to bedding area. And sometimes they're much closer. But that's why if you go, you know, if I see a deer kill in the middle of the road and I drive by that thing 10 times in a week, I might see a cat three times or whatever, whatever it may be. And and that's the this this actually i just i killed a lion in 2021 2021 and i spotted it on a fresh elk kill and i just set up on it same as i would would do i didn't have a call with me because we were bear hunting but uh i just set up on the kill and half hour later here comes the cat strolling right up out from what i and i was pretty sure i had told my wife that the you know the water's 300 yards below it the kills halfway up a hill it's pretty dense on you know, the one uphill side of it, the cat's probably going to come right up, you know, pretty leisurely. And sure as it, sure as it was, I mean, wasn't 30 minutes of sitting there, that cat come right out of water, strolled right up the mountain, laid down (laughs) under a tree for about 10 minutes, 15 minutes, probably 20 yards from the kill. And then walked over. And as soon as it took a bite of the kill, I just, I shot it and (laughs) got a follow-up shot on it. And, and that's the thing I've seen with lions. The biggest thing is their complete lack of fear, you know, I mean, they don't, they, they aren't worried. Like they don't, that's, that's the difference between the coyotes and the lions to me is like the lion he'll lay in the wide open in the sun because what's he, what's he got to be afraid of? If, if, you know, an animal smells him, he, it goes the other way. Whereas, you know, a coyote, I mean, heck an elk will chase a coyote down and try to kill it. I mean, you got you got prey animals trying to kill coyotes, you know, and they've got to be skittish and tough and, you know, hide out and whatever else. And uh, yeah, the two, two of the three lions that uh, I've killed have been essentially laying on a sunny hillside. And the third one we actually saw from the pickup, but it just stood on a hill and I walked to 40 yards and shot it with a bow. So they don't they don't have the fear you know it's yeah. thinking like oh, here comes the here comes a tasty meal just strolling <laughs> right to me i think is what I, what my personal opinion when mm-hmm. when you step out at 40 yards and the cat doesn't even flinch i mean it's you're like it has absolutely no fear so it, it doesn't doesn't have those predators and that worry well, it's back to the basic fundamental of just predator calling is you know I talk about the bubble, you know, all these, these animals have a bubble around them, this imaginary bubble, meaning how far they're going to travel to the call and whatnot, right? Like getting within that bubble when you set up without them knowing you're there is always, that's like the biggest part of it, right? No matter, you know, if there's very few coyotes in an area and you're doing, making just stand after stand, trying to find these coyotes, well, the chance of you killing a coyote's not great because there's just not there, right? Yeah. So the biggest challenge is just getting within yeah. where they're at 
Yeah. And that's, I think, you know, that's the, that's a lot of those guys that say, you know, those lions are so tough because, but because, you know, that, that lion's only going to come from a, you know, 300 yard bubble. And I mean, you might call a coyote three quarters of a mile across, yeah. I mean, across whatever else, because, you know, he's hunting for that little meal, whatever he can get, you know, that cat's thinking, especially if he's on a kill, he's like, oh, I already got a kill right there. I mean, I go check out, make sure another something's not in my area killing something. You know, if it was a coyote, it'd probably chase it off the kill or whatever else. But the, you know, they don't, they don't need to make that travel. And so you got to put yourself in that bubble and that might take you 20 foot miles to get, to finally get inside that bubble because that cat decided to lay there on a hill longer or whatever it may be, or, you know, it actually did kill something. You don't know it yet, but it it's, it's just getting, you're like you said, in that bubble of a cat and that that's the toughest part on the cat is the distance and the, and the short range that they'll probably come in. I would just, I mean, you know, I guess it, I don't know how there's a lot of states from. that are like that, you know, yeah. like South Dakota, I think is the same way. Like they have a lion season, but like in that Black Hills region, you can't use dogs. So that's how yeah. guys are hunting them. They're cutting tracks. And Nebraska even has a, a very limited mountain lion mm-hmm. season, like a draw only. It's kind of a weird deal, but no dogs. So you got to yeah. hunt them like that. So all the stories I've heard of people hunt, killing them are the exact same what you just talked yeah. about. Cut yeah. the tracks. Either they walked in on them and got lucky within the first couple of miles and they bumped the cat and shot it or they found a kill and they backed off and, you yeah. know, called or and that, ambushed them. That's the neatest thing. Like, I think it, that's a whole different game and a whole different realm. It's just like, you know, it it's, and, and that kind of leads back almost to the, like the trophy hunting deal. Like the guys I know that hunt lions, they don't hunt coyotes. I mean, they, they're, they're lion hunter. You know what I mean? Like, yeah a couple of them that's literally their life like they 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 hunt cougars on foot that's I mean that's what they do and uh it's just a it's a different animal you know you got to look at like okay am I okay going a year of walking to to get that one you know what I mean <laughs> get that one rarity yeah. or you know, or you spend a lot of time behind the glass but like you know you don't kill coyotes sitting there behind a spotter all day you know what I mean you don't yeah. you, you kill coyotes either you know getting in range and spooking them or or like driving by them or calling them in which you know they're all they all have their unique unique opportunity but but the lion i mean they're just they're they're it's such a different animal like when you when you kill your first lion for me it's just like it it like tops the elk and the deer and everything because they're just you know you get a you get a freaking paw on him you know Eight, eight inch across with the yeah, hair yeah. you're looking at his head and it looks like a freaking milk jug and you're just thinking like imagine a coyote what it can do and then you freaking take this you know 160 pound just complete raw chunk of muscle oh, yeah and like man what can this you know what can it do it freaking it's each strides you know eight feet when it's on a travel mode you're just like holy smokes that's a hell of a that's a hell of a predator, but, but yeah, they're really unique and, and they're, they're neat to call and they're, and, but again, even me, I, I rarely go out right now just trying to call a lion just because, you know, I'm like, well, heck I got three of them. So yeah. Yeah. And the, you know, I mean, I sit, sit and call some coyotes right now, but yeah, that's a, it's a different level of the game kind of, and a different, a, I mean, it's a physical aspect that generally is, is not there with the coyotes in my experience it'd be fun if somebody was going to plan a trip can a non-resident buy a lion tag in oregon yeah 
Yeah. So that'd be kind of a fun, if you're thinking about doing a trip, you know, take a week and go, you know, like, especially if you come from a state where, you know, you really can't kill lions or don't have any, it'd be kind of a fun little trip to make maybe. And I, and I don't know how the pot, I don't spend a lot of time around lions in the other states, but the fact that we've got no dogs in the state of Oregon, you know, lion hunting, the, the population is insane. I mean, because when you start talking that, there are there still people that haven't seen one in their life, but but the guys who spend time in the field killing lions, I mean, I've got a pretty good friend in Northeast Oregon, and he he wasn't even hunting lions; he's scouting deer and elk. But he in the last two years, he's killed a lion both years, and it and he's seen you know a handful more that were either out of range or whatever else. And uh, but yeah, it could be a realistic. I mean, but it could be a realistic hunt, but you're gonna have to look at the. Uh, at you know okay these are the few areas that are realistic and cutting a lion track and coming in the yeah. snow oh yeah you know, all these things and you're gonna have to say okay i'm i'm willing to put on you know 10 miles plus a day and i'm just going you know i'm gonna set a goal and i'm gonna just try to do that, that particular thing um but yeah I, I i truly believe that that you can realistically go out and and make a trip out of calling a lion in. Is it one of that country like national forest BLM kind of stuff? Yeah, there's yeah. a lot of it. There's a lot of a uh, lot of national forest. Uh, mostly, it would be all national forest where you'd be where you'd be lion hunting, in my opinion. Um, and but you know that's another thing. Like everyone in especially this central Oregon area of Oregon, I mean, they all want the lions dead. I mean, they everyone does because every rancher realizes we have no real mechanism of control on a lion because I mean, you're talking the handful of guys that would be willing to do this are, I mean, it's, yeah. it's a lot lower than the increase in population every year. And, you know, you can only kill so many by happenstance. Like they're looking, you know, you look at the game management, they're like, well, let's, let's put out 10,000 tags. What well, doesn't matter if you have, you know, one mechanism of hunting them. I mean, really, is it's just opportunity, you know, happenstance opportunity, really. And uh, if you say, okay, there's ten guys in the state of Oregon that are going to go call lions. I mean, they what you might get five. Yeah, I don't yeah. know what the number is, but but yeah, if you could put if you could put a hundred non-residents in the state after a lion, and and but I mean, I don't I don't know, it might be a neat yeah. opportunity. Oh, like, I, don't, be, I throw it out there, man. There, guys are always looking for adventures, you know. Get the last stand crew out here and let's get one called. Yeah, let's go get us a line. I don't know how many we'd have, how many chances we have to take on that one, but (laughs) Rick has a buddy he hunts lines with in Colorado. And we've talked about it several times, like going out there, but you can't use e calls in Colorado because it's a big game, you know, with their laws. But we always talked about taking him and this guy, you know, like you said, the the challenge is finding the cat. Well, we were, the idea was we'd jump into this guy and just drive around like we were hunting with dogs, but cut the track and he could say, Oh yeah, this is pretty fresh. And then we'd move in on it and make stands. That was our whole idea to, but I think, I think you could realistically do the same thing with just, you know, a diaphragm or anything else. I mean, I don't know that the sound is going to matter on a cat. You know, you're not, you're not playing a lion call. You know what I mean? You're, you're going to play a, you know, fawn did rabbit distress, any of that type of stuff. And, you know, generally speaking, those distress noises are kind of all the same thing. All the same. Yeah. Screaming out loud. I mean, really it's kind of all, all it is. And, and I think, uh, you know, I think you could do, realistically do the same thing, but yeah, the number of stands and, and the, and just the, the on foot, like man work is yeah. just 
it, that's the difficult part but it is i think it i think it could be realistic but you have to set the goal of like you know probably get, you oh, yeah be like man i'm gonna walk 20 miles a day and just you know i'm gonna take one stab at it and maybe yeah. it works and maybe yeah. you know maybe it doesn't but um you know i know a couple people that were you know it snowed last weekend and in the hills and they're elk hunting and they all they call me yeah we cut another line track we cut another line track we cut another <laughs> line track and so you know well, all those tracks had to be that night. It was one day, you know, not yeah. even. Oh, yeah. Oh, well, heck, if you just, you know, and it may even be the deal where it's like, man, we just are going to look for the track we think we can physically compete with, you know, maybe he's going down in the flatland and there's good snow, you know, well, maybe that's it. And you just, you know, you look, okay, you look Pick on the shoes. You think he's going to be in that hole and that's the one we're going to go after, you know, but um, yeah, it'd be a really unique, that'd be a heck of a unique hunt. I don't know if there's anyone that's uh, that's filming lion calling, but that'd be a, that'd be a hell of an episode. Bill list. I got to go get me a wolf first. That's oh, that's you know, the wolf. Call. Same same exact thing with wolves. I think you know that we just talked about. You know, but Lake once again, there, I don't know a lot of guys that wolf hunt that really hunt coyotes hard. You know, yeah. seems like the guys that wolf hunt that's really all they do is kind of go after wolves. So yeah. it's hard to it's hard to talk with them and get yeah. the experience. Ver, you know coyote versus wolf calling or coyote versus mountain lion calling you know because you know not the guys that hunt coyotes really hard usually don't do that because they're like well hell with that why would i want to go waste all day yeah. with a slight chance of killing one coyote or one wolf when i can go out and maybe you know get four or five coyotes you know so yeah yeah and i think <laughs> you know it's probably it'd probably just be that you know the same group of guys that's you know willing to they, they're you know after a 400 inch elk or they're yep. after you yep. know i mean or they're after the experience, like, you know, I, I want this particular thing, you know, and that, yeah. and I, you, you probably the same deal with the wolves, you know, I mean, the wolf populations, 3000, the coyote populations, 500,000. So again, you're, you're in the same boat. Like you'd have to look at your, you have to look at a realistic objective and say, you know, if I go, if I can go call, you know, 10 coyotes in a week, I have to, and there's 10 times the coyotes as there are cougars. I have yeah. to be realistically thinking I'm going to have to go 10 days to get, you know, Whoa. maybe get it one, one yeah. opportunity, one maybe, but I mean, that's your, that's probably your, your goal is you just say, okay, you know, I, in 10 days, I want to get one opportunity and I got to go when it's, it's good, fresh snow and good, you know, manageable amount. And it, it'll be picking, it's like picking a stand, you know, you yeah. just got to probably, you just got to take the, you got to take the right opportunity and run with it and then go from there. But hey, you got to, uh, you got to start guiding calling mountain lion trips there you go you got the yeah. whole niche to yourself right yeah. there i'm gonna have a i'm gonna have an asterisk next to my name that's you know it's 70 percent hill <laughs> on the one percent of hunts that, that yeah we, yeah line. But, uh, yeah that's and that's the that's the only difficulty with guiding you know and that's kind of what you were talking is like you know on there's one part of me that is like i want to go after the biggest oldest you know thing on the mountain and that i want the tough hunt but the other side of me is like you know you got this guy paying and you want to give him the opportunity right so if that opportunity is like it, it, okay well it's you know it's you know a younger age class elk or deer and it's the only one you see you know you're like man i, I what where do you draw the line you know you're kind of oh, like yeah. and it's all different and you know you but you can book that with the intention of like, you know, or just like you could probably do with coyotes, like, you know, I'm going to teach you how, but 
you know, we might call in 10 coyotes. We're just going to shoot one. We're going to manage this. I mean, that's, you could set it up however, but that's just, uh, and that doesn't mean they'll continue following. You'd be the only one in the country doing it. There's probably a reason for that, but yeah. Yeah. Uh, Well, buddy, it's been fun, man. I'm glad we got into the mountain line stuff. I was curious about that in Oregon's, I've, you know, back in the days I used to be on predator masters was a forum and there was a group of guys this is back in the nineties, you know, late nineties, early two thousands that spent time, you know, trying to call and kill mountain lions up there. So it's just interesting yeah. thing, you know, we'll have to, we'll have to get one going and document the whole thing. See, see if we can get a whole, we get a whole following its own unique niche. Yeah. <laughs> mountain lion calling in the, in the mountains. Yeah. No, that'd heck be- yeah. But, what yeah, uh, if somebody wanted to follow you whether whether it's your outfitting business uh social media what's what's like the best way to to get in touch with you or or keep yeah, track of what, what you're up to i got a personal instagram uh just under clark woodward or seawood 121 or something like that um we don't have a don't have any outfitting stuff as far as uh as far as pages right now um but yeah yeah it's good old instagram man that's the way to go right now yeah <laughs> <laughs> but uh, maybe at some point here we'll have a youtube channel and whatever else but uh, yeah yeah i'm excited to get that well yeah. once again man i appreciate you taking the time out of your your first day off for the yeah. season <laughs> you know, to, to join right. me this this has been fun so want to want to thank everybody for listening to this episode of eastman's predator pros um you know appreciate the feedback on uh whether it's uh, Spotify and the five-star reviews, I think we're almost a 500 five-star review. So appreciate everybody with uh, with awesome feedback there. Uh, that means a lot, you know, and of course we can't do this without the sponsors. Uh, we have Sig Sour Optics, Swagger Bipods, Hornady, Lucky Duck Predator Calls, Silencer Central, Cryptech, Juniper Mountain Coffee, Onyx Hunt, and of course Eastman's for bringing this all together for you guys. Um, they actually have some Tag Hub stuff going on right now, some discounts and things like that. So you can go over to their website, Uh, which is eastmans.com to check that out. And of course, if you're looking to find any more information about myself, you can go to my website, which is coyotecraze.com. That'll have links to the the newest, latest, last stand videos that are coming out right now. Uh, Links to my upcoming schools, uh, articles, things like that. So once again, appreciate you guys listening and we'll catch you next time right here on the Eastman's Predator Pros podcast.